0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and NA, member FDSE.
1: Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to Studying Media Critically, a podcast from the New Books Network. I'm your host, Gummer Clare, and today I'm joined by Danveer Singh Bra, who's a lecturer in Black British History at the University of Leeds. We'll be talking about his book, Tech Life, Ghettoville Esky, The Sonic Ecologies of Black Music in the Early 21st Century, which was published in 2021. Welcome to the show, Dan Veer. Uh, Thanks for having me, Gummer. Glad to be on. So I guess, could we start with you telling us a little bit about your academic and professional background?
0: I'm I'm a regular listener and subscriber to various new books, new networks uh channels and um this question always throws me a bit because it feels like you're in a job interview and i don't know how to how to answer it without um kind of giving a uh, that sort of you know answer where you try and uh convey yourself to be a an a really competent and adequate professional but um i guess one way into that question would to say that there are a set of kind of concerns, questions, commitments, obsessions that, that kind of shape a lot of the research that I'm involved in and try to produce. One would be the, I guess you could call it the, the political aesthetics of, of Black diasporic music, stretching from, I guess, the, the post-war period to the present. And usually the way I think I enter the that that is through black diaspora popular music in in North America, Britain, and the Caribbean. Another way into the kind of set of research agendas that I'm that I'm trying to take up is is the relationship between um, the question of race in in critical and cultural. I guess the question of race and in intellectual activity and intellectual politics. Um, and then, thirdly, um, I'd say it's a, a, a broader concern with the, the, the cultural politics of race. Um, so, the intersection of race and cultural studies. So, they're the main things that, um, that kind of determine the parameters of, of the research I do. But in generally, it's, it's kind of following various obsessions, various interests around a set of questions um, uh, about how people have sought to respond to and change the 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 situations in which they find themselves and how they res- respond to and change those situations aesthetically culturally. Um, and paying attention
1: to those practices, those manifestations. And I mean, those questions all really animate much of this book. But I guess, could you tell us a little bit about what drew you to write this book specifically and the the musics that you choose here?
0: The book was a kind of uh, an accident, really. You could say it's a kind of an organisation of an accident. Um, I fell into it in many ways. The the work I'd done as a PhD was really focused on trying to think about the aesthetics and politics of sound in the context of uh, black radicalism in the US during the sixties. So um, you know I tried to put together these comparative and comparative analyses of, of of particular moments of of kind of sonic intensity that uh, appear in the spheres of music or politics um, broadly conceived. So like James Brown or Miri Baraka. Um, Martin Luther King and and Sam Cooke and, and Motown and the and uh, the League of Revolution Black Workers but all the all the while when I was when I was working on that material in my you call my my non-formal research uh, life I was you know just pursuing my my own interests and obsessions and my own um desires for uh, um electronic music uh, various forms of electronic dance music uh, that had been there since I was a teenager and really, I guess, looking on it retrospectively in the PhD, I worked out, I was working out a set of methods for trying to think about how to think about music, um, in a, in different ways, um, in ways that I, I found kind of satisfying. And once I finished the PhD, I guess, um, as a result of the regularity of, 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 you know, going to dances, listening to music, um, Talking about it continuously with friends, that I started to to put together some notes, some ideas, uh, particularly on footwork and grime, and the book just kind of grew and developed from there. And I pretty much decided quite quickly that I didn't want to 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 go for a PhD to book conversion path because I'd kind of finished with that 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 project in the in the PhD stage. Um, I like to try and keep myself, uh, keep a kind of ele- element of freshness to, to anything I'm doing. So um, the book really just grew out of there. A f- uh, several years of engaging with with the music of the artist that I, and the, the styles that I focus on in that book, um, footwork, grime and actress. And then, as I oh. s- say at the end of the book, the book could have taken many manifestations, alternative manifestations, depending on... Um, the choices I made about what would be in, what would end up in the final version of the book, but what I decided once the book started to appear and come into view is that there was something about uh, the questions of urbanism and space that were unifying these the particular um, artists and styles that I focus on in the book. Um, so I thought, let's just stick with that. That's it's got a level of coherency. Um, to it, it looks like it's pre-planned. It's been thought through, <laughs> um, even though it's kind of after the fact. So let's let's go with that and uh, work with that. And yeah, that's really where the book kind of came out of. a Really, a kind of formalisation of a of a a formalisation, intensification of a kind of uh, a long period of leisure activity, I guess.
1: And so, as you say, the the three musics you look at are uh, grime footwork and the music of the producer actress and the book opens with this fantastic little portrait where you describe some of the sonic characteristics of one specific track from each of those three um for listeners who might not be aware could you maybe lay out some of the distinctive sonic features of the three musics
0: yeah um wow that's because i haven't even i haven't even looked at the book really since <laughs> um i handed it over to the publishers and i haven't gone back to that music so much apart from the, the launch i guess footwork is the, uh, one mistake often made about footwork is that it's thought to be music that is very fast but instead it's intense and there's a difference between speed uh, and intensity um and its intensity comes from actually the uh, the the way it presses together lots of contrasting elements um one would be this this kind of uh, this rapid um, snare drum pattern, uh, which seems which is the where the, the impression of its speed comes from, um, which moves at a, a high velocity. But then that's that's combined usually in foot with with two other elements. The other is this kind of uh, sharp punching kind of baseline that comes underneath the kind of that draws on the genealogies of of Chicago house and the third is usually some sort of sample um, whether it's from contemporary R&B it could be some element of, of kind of 70s even 60s soul or it could be uh, um, a sample ripped from a particular hip-hop track um, and then maybe there's some, often actually there's a fourth element in footwork which is the presence of the of a producer uh usually kind of verbalizing over the uh, in, in snippets over the top of the track um with grime god yeah grime that's a that's a really tough one grime is like sharp um highly synthetic um has very high rates of propulsion it feels like both like a kind of a kind of expulsion of air release of pressure uh, but also, it sounds like kind of uh, uh, like kind of bits of metal grinding up against each other. But gr- there's a very different styles of grime um, under the grime umbrella, but there tends to be um, staccato bass drums, often sometimes in grime tracks that aren't much in the isn't much in the way of bass activity. But really, the point of grime or the way that grime functions is as a means to stimulate performances from MCs. So what you've got is a is a very complex synthetic sharp soundscape, in which MCs can therefore test their skills. So rather than providing a bedrock or a, a background for an MC's skills, it's almost often as if the MC as uh, MCs as much as battling with each other are battling with the the soundscape of um uh, of the production. With actresses' music, well, that's that's the root. That's probably the toughest one because the under the actress banner, he has uh, um a wide range of kind of, I guess you call it production uh, guises. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I'd say the, one of the ways to describe actresses is, is something like a combination of Chicago House, New Jack Swing, and Detroit Techno, but as if you were listening to it through, uh, in the in the smoking area of a club. So you're listening to it at a kind of, I wouldn't call it a distance, but a level of kind of um, filter and um abstraction um and it's very much as if he's looking down over the top of the music and 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 playing and toying with bits um bits of it um i would say with actress but i guess one of the differences and one of the common uh, discussions i've had as a result of the book is is i would say is the difference between seeing actress dj and and hearing his productions because his productions uh often present a very intricate um uh, style of 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 music but if you 've seen him d j often the few occasions i 've seen him d j he has an extremely intense distorted um, approach to djing which i think gives you a different perspective on on what he 's doing on record
1: I, I suppose that distinction between production and the performance of a production is also quite key in all of these musics that you look at, um, which I guess we'll come to in a little bit. So before we move into the kind of the meat of the book, I thought it might be a good idea to ask you about two concepts that um, recur throughout the book, which is the idea of sonic ecology and phonomateriality. So what do these terms mean? and could you maybe talk a little bit about the theoretical underpinnings of the concepts and the body of literature the book is situating itself within?
0: Yeah, sure, sure. Um, yeah, I was, I was, I was kind of wary of trying to present the book as a kind of invention of new concepts. Um, I think that kind of drive for novelty is is quite dangerous in in academic or intellectual life at present. Often, what you get in publishing, I think, is a trademark in the con- attempt to trademark concepts rather than publish books. Um, and I tend to prefer to work on the idea that no one's, no one arrives at anything kind of uh, purely originally. You know, that you've you borrowed things and you've adapted them. So the idea of sonic ecology is really borrowed from two or three kind of uh, places. Um, one obvious place would be it appears in Steve Goodman's book uh, Sonic Warfare, and one of the kind of uh, one of the regular experiences uh which 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 uh fed into the the thinking around the book was um you know going to the several hyperdub parties that, that um steve was running as part of his label that he um, um and and he djs under the, the the name code nine but also you can see something like Co- psych um appear in in um under different names appear in uh, the writing and thinking of Catherine McKittrick and Abdul Malik Simone, who are both geographers, but seem to seem to, to think their approach to geography and particularly urbanism through the through the the manifestations of of various types of Black diasporic music. So that's really where sonic ecology is coming from, um, and and phenomenality is really just is again is a is a kind of borrowing an adaptation from um, uh, a term that. Um, Fred Moten uses at the start of In the Break. Um, and that if you, once you identify it there, you kind of spot it in several places. Um, this, in a way, what I think fauna allows for or is a way to pay attention to um, music as organised sound um, and the aesthetics of that organised sound without um, having to... Uh, go through um, the 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 particular mechanics and techniques of of uh, musicology, uh, which I'm not trained in, so I wouldn't be able to. Uh, but also as a way of um, avoiding what you know, in some instances, is often the 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 trap of cultural studies, which uh, a cultural studies approach to music, which tends to rele- leave the actual sonic material aside um, in its in its analyses. Um, so yeah, that's once you you spot it it's front of materiality, it kind of appears everywhere in Baraka, in Gilroy, in Alexander Wahile, Richard Iton. Um, you know, obviously in in McKittrick, who I just mentioned. You know, it appears almost anywhere and everywhere in the writing of Greg Tate. You know, um, it's it's all over the place. Uh, once you once you identify it as such, or give it a particular name, it's always been there. It's just a name for a thing that's that's always been in operation. I'd say
1: and that connection of the contents of the sound to the social and to the production of the social and the spatial is obviously very central in all, all those authors that you cite and and you know again animates much of the book itself i think so then in chapter one um you kind of lay some groundwork for your three case studies by discussing the earlier emergence of black electronic dance music specifically focusing on house techno and jungle but you're you're clear that you're not just trying to draw a kind of straight line connecting these earlier forms to footwork, grime, and actress. Instead, you're making a much more subtle point here about what you call the changing same of black electronic dance music, obviously from uh, from Baraka. Um can you explain that phrase and how it relates to what jungle, house, and techno can show us about the entanglement of music, race, class, and territory at the end of the 20th century?
0: Yeah, um I mean the changing same is yeah, it's a term that um First appears in Baraka, and it's in it's in Baraka's usage. It's a, it's a very kind of uh, potent and productive way to think to, to really to to, hint, to give a name for what he thinks is the the really the the metaphysical project of, of that diasporic music, which is the, um, a kind of complication of of what could be understood as the modernist drive towards the new or new horizons. Um, and Baraka says, well, in the case of Black diasporic music, you get this this complication, disruption of that modernist impulse by the fact that you get a, a pushing towards a, a constant push to to develop new forms of the music. But what what happens in that push towards new forms is that some fragments of the past are always remain, are always reworked, um, and therefore you get this, this this idea of the changing same of Black music um, that that nothing is uh, ever Ever a complete break uh, from the past, that something of um, um, whether it's historical memory or musical memory is always uh, carried over um, and, and, and readapted. Um, and that's, as again, as you, as you pointed out, that's not to say there are strict genealogies, it's about how you listen um, and, and how you pay attention to that changing scene. And yeah, the, the, the relationship between jungle, house, and techno, and then um, footwork crime and the actress's music is yeah it's not it's not I don't I'm not as you quite as you point out I'm not looking to 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 develop to say there's a strict line of of transference here. It's more to do with uh the sets of conditions in which they emerge that are comparable, uh often often because they're in the same place. But also it's their approach to materials, whether those are musical materials or what we call social materials. There seems to be it's more of a kind of structural approach, I'd say. Um, There seems to be something structural in the way that uh, you could say that Chicago uh, uh, house, um, techno, and jungle, as you could you could call them, the the, the formative moments in uh, of contemporary dance music production, um, the the uh, a possible set of starting points. That in those starting points, they they set up some terms, ways of working. That I think, if you understand those, you can you can therefore start to. Uh, see how those ways of working those structural conditions are played out and reworked and adapted in contemporary situations
1: in current situation and in different settings as well and i think having that kind of that scene setting makes makes so much sense for then kind of going into the the subsequent music so you build on this and moving into the following chapter you talk about trying to theorize um the blackness of black electronic music again i know we've done a bit of kind of defining terms but it feels quite important to unpack what blackness means in the sense that you're using it here and then throughout the book in a way that's part of the question
0: that's the the um question that stimulates the project and is ultimately left answered unanswered, unanswered uh, because it's part of that changing same dynamic but if yeah i guess what i'm trying to say in that chapter is black music is um Black music has to be thought through its historical conditions of production. And those historical conditions of production would be the, you know, the facts of, of slavery and colonization as the the defining experiences for the, exist, the existence of that music. Um, but also that the music as a, let's say, um, a social and philosophical endeavor is trying to rethink and constantly change and break make bids for freedom out of them. and that's where something you might get something like the question of blackness appear um a, a pop-up in in black music that i don't th- the question of blackness of black music is um a product of processes of racialization violent processes of racialization but it's not reducible to them and i think that's what i'm trying to to um, um set up in that chapter saying that actually that that, that um, this has been an ongoing debate, an ongoing set of ideas at work in Black Diasporic intellectual practice, and that actually the, the thinkers who have paid closest attention to the music have been trying to tap into and unpack this question. Um, and those debates are, are unstable. They're not, there's not a clear set of kind of camps. Those questions aren't resolved in any particular way, but they seem to be what keeps what keeps the, the thinking about the music going, as well as the music itself. Um, I would suggest. And actually the, the, the a lot of the people that I, whose ideas I kind of rip and borrow from would,
1: I think, suggest the same. Building on that, I, I think one really interesting concept that comes through there is about a, a drive toward unrecognizability in black musical experimentation. And that felt really significant, um, the way that you, you were using it there. So what's that doing as a concept and how does it maybe call into question ideas of black music as being straightforwardly representational or realist.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the, again, that's the, that's the, uh, that was actually what attracted me to these particular um, musical forms to write about uh, in terms of styles or projects to write about and develop for the purposes of a book. And actually as, as uh, it tends to be, the thing that draws me towards um Musical forms or aesthetic projects in general that um, that attempt to produce a uh, an effect or a type of unrecognizability, yet still making a claim on a set of conditions. So it's I think it's undeniable that footwork is black music, right? There are a set of quite obvious features and factors which say, okay, yeah, no, you could say concretely it's black music, but what it's doing is it's rendering our acceptable ideas or historically constituted ideas of what what black music is or isn't, it's rendering them unstable. And I think that's what makes these musics exciting. Um, but if you start to listen closely, listen, uh, listen um, um, attentively, and you listen to what the artists are telling you, or not telling me in this instance, but um, wh- what they say about their own music practice is that, there is something of the past, um, there's something of a kind of history, um, historical knowledge, historical attitude buried in there. Um, you just have to, have to listen out for it. And with, I think they're kind of challenging the way we listen, the way we listen is, um, um, and the way we listen, the way we historicize, um, and the way we categorize. So that's, yeah, I think that's certainly the, the case with footwork. um, Often the early reception of it, particularly in the UK, was was you know this is this music sounds like in a in a very positive sense out there you know kind of it's really um, I don't know how best to describe it but um, it's frenetic it's it sounds almost unlistenable but as people start to write and think about it more and start to speak to the artist more they can start just they can begin to situate what it's doing and where it's coming from exactly the same goes with grime. When people first heard grime, it was like this kind of this kind of nuclear explosion had gone off um, and it was quite a, in a very real sense a leap, taking a set of kind of musical styles, approaches that had been developing over a number of years and, and, and building for a number of years and it suddenly takes them and flips everything and and, and, and takes a sharp turn a, a kind of handbrake turn in another direction and it seems like everything has been left previously has been left behind but again if you listen closely you can hear what you can hear what's been adapted uh which not to say they're they're referencing the past but you can hear traces of what's been adapted i think actually that's at the uh at the heart of actresses project from the outset this this attempt to uh render the familiar um strange or render the familiar unrecognizable uh, or at least appear to to kind of um I guess, in some sense, the producer challenging themselves, also challenging the listener, the dancer, um, to to
1: to listen differently. You touched on it there in passing about you say saying you know not not you actually speaking to the artist, and so that that feels like quite a conscious kind of I guess methodological choice that you, despite having you know lots of as you saying experience of going to going to these shows, going to these dances, you've quite. Explicitly chosen not to do interviews or not to do ethnography. Really, could you maybe expand on your kind of choice of approach for this and, and basing it much more in a kind of yeah critical listening and then th- theoretical approach? Yeah,
0: um, I guess I'm trying to um, treat the materials produced by these artists as artworks, and that's the the the, the first approach I take to, them. Um, and then everything kind of follows from there, and it poses challenges because you know at best you might have something like an album in the case of footwork possibly in grime obviously in the case in actresses in in actresses output you have a lot of albums or ep works but really especially in footwork and grime you have a lot of unstable ephemeral material so how do you treat this as an artistic practice um and um think about its aesthetics without having something stable to to fix upon and that actually i think is what draws me towards treating them as artworks and in that sense i would say i'm treating them as artworks because to me they're the evidence of they're singular they're singular instances of of collectivized intellectual activity i you know there's great value there would there probably would have been great value in going to speak to grime mcs going to speak with actress um or speak with you know on other occasions I have, but not as a result of this this project. It's just you know happens to be a chance meeting and just talking to them, or maybe in the kind of you know in the at the bar of a club or something like that. But it's not been a kind of concerted uh, research endeavor. But really, to say, well, they're making the music and they're making it for a reason. To in one sense, in a uh, to speak to the wider world. So let's listen to the music and try and. Unpack what it is you, they're, they're trying to say, um, and uh, they, they're using the music as their primary means of ex- communication and expression. So why not pay close attention to what they're doing in the music um, and trying to kind of unpack that uh, as best as you can? And you know, it's a, it's a, it's a gambit. It's not. I'm not making a set of indisputable claims. It's, a, it's an argument. It's a, it's a set. There are a set of propositions, but it's more about, well, let's take this seriously as a, as intellectual activity. And if you do, what 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 difference might that open up in terms of thinking about this musical um, these musical projects, rather than uh, relying on what tends to be the stat uh, not, not tends to be but often can be the approach to um, black musical forms, particularly you know urban musical forms, to go and speak to the artist as a as a kind of um, it kind of send, lends an assurance of authenticity, which again that if you go back to the unrecognizability thesis is. Um, It's not really, I'm I'm not looking for that sort of anchor. You know, if an artist wants to disagree with what I've written, that's fine. You know, that's cool. Um, It's not a problem. I mean, um, I'd be happy that they read it, you know. (laughs) I'd just be happy that they read it. Uh, But if they want to disagree, that's totally
1: fine. It's not an issue. Cool. Well, um, maybe you can anticipate some emails after this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, turning to your analysis of footwork, could you explain the relationship between dancers and producers in making this music and why this matters for your kind of theoretical position?
0: Yeah. um, Well, what happens with footwork is, you know, an acute, a very acute and uh, compressed manifestation of something that had always been existence in existence in Chicago house or seems to have been existence from Chicago house from very early on. Um, And the various guises that Chicago house went through from the eighties onwards is this tendency towards coordinated competitive dancing. Uh, particularly once you get to Ghetto House, uh, there is some element of, of organised dancing and competitive dancing between groups of people in club spaces from, you know, uh, again, the, 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 the bits of history that i put together, the, the more detailed histories of Chicago House, the oral histories uh, that you can put together. But what happens with footwork, is two things. One, um, the dance battle moves out of the club and goes into, the, into either the open air of, uh, 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 of the ghettoized area of Chicago, or in particular social spaces like kind of uh, community centers or, or school gyms or um, just abandoned buildings or something along those lines. And secondly, what starts to happen, uh, from what I was able to, to piece together from from about the, the genealogy of footwork, is that the as a result of these kind of specialised dance battles that take place, the dancers start to make a make a demand upon producers to have increasingly complex uh, rhythms to to dance to, to, to in order to test their dancing. Capacities. I think what this this intensification of of what had been existence for a long time as an informal, I guess, practice in Chicago, um, what it leads to is this thing we call footwork, whereby the dancers and producers seem to be making the music together in a very direct, over way. Um, whereas, you know, the, you could argue the condition of all uh, electronic dance music or dance music um, is involves some exchange between dancers and producers. Because you know, producers are testing out materials at dances, they see how dancers respond. Um, if there isn't that much of a positive response, they'll go away and rework it or try something else. Uh, um, um, and, and that's the way it tends to it tends to operate, you know, across the board, no matter which which kind of genre or style you're looking at. But in Chicago, that gets that gets really kind of um, put together in a in a in a in a very particular way, in a very overt way. And you ca- it's very difficult, therefore, to to hear to listen to footwork without, in a way, hearing the dancers' movements. Uh, it's it's a kind of got a got a, uh, a cross media. Um, it's kind of got a, a, an element of bleed across across media, uh, built into into footwork. You've got the 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 visual element, the choreographic element of the dancers' movements, and then you've got they're kind of being folded in and embedded into the 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 sonic palette of the music and vice versa that it's it's it becomes almost indivisible.
1: And I suppose a question that came to mind when I was thinking about this, because I, I remember first coming across footwork watching kind of YouTube videos that showed the dancing and the music at once and they felt you know so inseparable as you talk about. Um but since then, uh, as you kind of already mentioned, you know, footwork's had quite a lot of uptake in, uh, in certain kind of European circles, and I, I know that quite a lot of footwork DJs are, often end up on the bills of european kind of avant-garde festivals or whatever what happens to a music that's so intensely you know related to a certain space and a certain set of movements and interactions when it moves into like the european concert hall
0: yeah i mean that's that's a that's been a long that's been a question that's been for a long time on for various underground folk popular music forms right um but in this sense, I mean, someone who I find really interesting on this is DJ Spin. He's he's often he's quite been overt about it. He says that look, the, the what he produces and plays, uh, particularly him and Richard when they were working together before Richard passed, what they play for the European audience was um, this hybrid version of of footwork that they were adapting and developing that they felt would uh, lend itself. To club spaces where people first, because the first way in which footwork entered uh, Europe was through club nights um, that would play to uh, the the palates and ears of um, bodies of European dancers in Europe, Um, and that's that's a kind of very broad term because you've got you know the type of um, social ecology of dancing in in the UK is going to be different to Berlin or Italy or whatever, depending on the the histories of electronic music in those particular countries. Um so they were already attuned to that. But also, you know, there's a there's the just the real everyday basic element as they're working musicians, you know, and you go where the work is and they were able to sustain themselves by um um tapping into this 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 um energy for what they were doing in in, you know, um firstly clubs in Europe and then as you as you pointed out, like various kind of um arts festivals in across, you know. European cities yeah one argument you could make is that there's there's been an element of dilution um I guess that's fair but then there's also you know going back to the changing same argument that that music's constantly developing and you perhaps wouldn't have you know the kind of really fascinating deviations from a central footwork palette that you get in the like in producers such as Jay Lynn or kind of, you know, the albums that R.P. Boo's been putting out. So I think it's, you know, it's a, I don't think it's anything to kind of, I don't think you need to, again, kind of have some claim over authenticity that one type, one instance of footwork is more authentic than the other. It's developed the way it has, and we wouldn't be encountering it. We wouldn't be here talking about it if it hadn't been able to, they hadn't been, you know, the, the musicians themselves, the producers themselves hadn't been thinking, right, so there's this interest in, you know, these club nights in London. Um what is it they're listening to there what is it they're attuned to there and how can we present our music in a way which meets them and welcomes them in to, to footwork you know and I think that's something that actually to, I would actually
1: applaud is, you, you also highlight the widespread spread use of the term tech with a K by those involved in making the music what for you is the significance of this term and what does it tell us about the blackness of footwork
0: to me that's that's the the, the invention and use of this term tech is that Collectivised social intellectual activity at work that's the evidence of it it's a it's a kind of um, uh, organic intellectual activity you know to use a to use a a more accepted term um, at work it's them not only making their music but them thinking about or what is what are the particular qualities of our music and what is it we want it to how do we want to convey it to the world and it seems to because you know it's it's tech. It's not, it's not it's not so much the term tech in and of itself, the way the term tech is used in conjunction with other terms, combined with other words, used as part of the invention of other neologisms. So architecture, tech life, technician, um, and that seems to those terms in themselves seem to imply something of the the fact they see themselves as in a way a kind of post-industrial labourers. The idea of being a technician of having a craft. Uh, but it's tech with a K, so it has this 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 I guess this this kind of post-industrial feel to it, uh, this this speculative feel to it. Um, but it's also very much of a place, right? It's it's saying we're built not only we're we building music, but we seem to be trying to build place or build an idea of place in the music. Um, um, and yes, yeah, so I think the the term tech is, I guess in a way it's 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 telling you something about the way race is being made and refused and in the in the particular context in which that music is being made
1: yeah that's the the making and refusal that's a really nice way of putting it i think um and could you explain what you see as some of the issues with urban sociology with regard to black life in chicago and the way that footwork kind of enacts a critique of theories of urban decay and ghettoization
0: um yeah that was (laughs) yeah that was the, the 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 bit of the chapter that was um I wouldn't say toughest, but it was just kind of like uh having to delve into a set of debates that uh, I had a sense that were there, but I hadn't realized how extensive they were and how deep they were. And there was a stage in which, you know, I kind of go, well, how deep, Like this is an ongoing debate in, in, in the field of urban sociology. There two, uh, are two kind of debates in the field of urban sociology. One is how do you define the urban? I guess i put make it three debates. It seems to me anyway. One, how do you define the urban, two, how do you define the ghetto, and three, how come Chicago seems to be the template for all of this thinking about the urban and the ghetto, um, or at least the starting point for it and there's no way in which you know i would I would say that the 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 summary and the, the my the entry I have into those debates is is definitive. Um, and I'm sure people who have a much deeper schooling in these debates will be able to point out, you know, the kind of flaws in my argument. But it's built on a basic premise. There seemed to be, a, uh, from the materials that I'd read and kind of surveyed, there seemed to be a claim that, okay, what starts to happen in the 1990s is you get the development of a certain type of uh, life in, in urban environments in Chicago as emblematic of urban environments across America. Whereby there's a there's a kind of there's a kind of like structural desolation that comes into play, you know, um, uh, d- due to the 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 ab- uh, the abandonment of these areas by the state, um, the the mo- the kind of the movement of, the, of a black bourgeoisie out of uh, um, ghettoized areas, the the wider structural shifts in capital that produces this element of a kind of what the, seems to be the tendency to think of these er- places as, as as desolated and, you know, in need of some sort of implication being that need some sort of rescuing or help. And I, you can kind of, in some sense, in, you can kind of see where they're the, the coming from. But at the same, same time, then you go, oh, well, if you take that as, if you accept that argument, then how do you explain the fact that at the very same time, let's say in Chicago, these claims are being made, there's this huge flourishing of ghetto house and the development of what was was known in, in amongst house fans as the one of the Motowns of Chicago, uh, Ghetto House, the the Dance Mania label, it houses this flourishing of cultural activity, of expressive sonic activity. How do those two things sit together? And all I was trying to do in that section is say, well, how do we how do we deal with this? Um, because you know um, these two things don't seem to cohere. How can you have on one side this, this set of claims that there's been a destruction of a certain type of uh, a certain vision a certain type black social life in Chicago um, and at the same time there's this this rapid flourishing of musical activity um, how do those sit together um, and yeah and that's kind of what I was trying to the question I was trying to pose is that if you're saying that the term is from I think it's from Louis quaquant that oh uh, the, the 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 Chicago ghetto is now nothing but a warehouse for discarded material I, think I might be misremembering that you're like well if it is then where's footwork coming from and perhaps that tells us about something about you know what we think of as a warehouse what we think of as discarded material that there's you know materials and peoples we might think of as waste or wasted um or desolate might have something going on there which we're not paying attention to that we're not attuned to.
1: yeah totally i suppose the warehouse in particular there being quite specific. exactly yeah yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. given its relevance yeah, a big so, light bulb moment yeah yeah <laughs> um so then moving on to chapter four, where you discuss the actress's music, you're particularly attentive to his relationship to kind of abstraction and the everyday and how this work is like often quite a long way removed from say that's the quite sci-fi inflicted speculation of like techno. Um, so could you talk a little bit about the productive tension you identify between abstraction and the kind of firm grounding in the immediate environment that you see in Ghettoville and in actress's work?
0: The stuff on actress. I mean, I did. I I really wanted to make sure it it was it stayed in there. I was in discussions with editors. There was a feeling often that or the actress chapter is a kind of anomaly uh, because firstly it's focused on on a singular artist and built around a singular album, but secondly that that because of the particular overtly you could call in some sense it's not the right term because I think this is, is a problematic term, but let's say the, uh, for want of a better term, the the overtly cerebral presentation of actresses music that um, it doesn't seem to sit with, um, you know, the, the, the idea or the preconceived idea of what grime and tech life are doing. But what I, what I enjoyed about what I found productive about actresses music and what I liked about it in terms of its unrecognizability is that it was, he was, he was clearly drawing upon a set of ideas or attitudes, a set of sensibilities in in. I think he'd identified a strain uh, or a, a certain kind of sensibility or strain in in the the musical forms that he was attracted to, and he'd pulled that out and and made them into a into his own type of sound, and that would be this tendency towards abstraction that he hears in in Chicago House, New Jack Swing, obviously Prince, um, and Detroit Techno. But what he doesn't try and do is make these um, retro projects. Right, He doesn't try to say, well, how do I make my music sound like this music from the past that I'm influenced by? How do I use the impulses of that music, this, this strain of abstraction that I've identified, but make something that's, that's speaking to what it is that I want to express and say about our present? and that's where i i kind of tried to carve out this idea cuz the in the writing about detroit techno in particular you know there's a now accepted um, narrative which you know the artists put forward themselves which is detroit techno and particularly the techno of the 80s and 90s was and this is a very broad sweeping claim but it's largely built upon using the experience of alienation to tap into something of a kind of extraterrestrial extra extrahuman extrahuman exper- uh, uh, dynamic or extra human extraterrestrial possibilities in, in black diasporic music. And so, you know, you've got that famous line from Juan Atkins that he says, well, what we're trying to do is, is land a UFO on a record. Right. Um, and that's a really brilliant and neat way of, of, of defining, uh, the Detroit techno project because it draws upon, you know, you, you've got all the allusions to science fiction cinema Music, in some sense, the absurd, the the speculative, all at work there, right? But you can definitely hear actresses using the Im- abs- the impulses towards abstraction and alienation in those musics. But he's not interested in that kind of particular sci-fi dynamic. And so, what I was trying to say is think about: it, is what is it that he's able to do, and what is it that he's done here that takes the again the kind of something like the structural elements of those musics but reformulates them turns them into something new and yeah if you get over with the album which which exemplified that for me because he was very determinedly saying that it was about walking around a place a particular environment and a very specified environment and so yeah i i wanted to use that as again a kind of productive tension to, to say well it is in some sense has a relation to detroit techno but you can't reduce it to an understanding of of the kind of classic Detroit sound and the classic Detroit ethos. He's doing something very different, and I and I tried to use that as a as a as a kind of animating force in the chapter to go. Well, it is this, but it's not quite that. And how do we pay attention to what it is the music his music saying, and also what he's saying because he's he's quite forthcoming in putting forward kind of interpretations of his own music. So if we pay attention to what he's saying, how do we remain faithful to that and try and kind of draw out what it is that makes Ghettoville unique? Yeah, I think he does something really interesting. Uh, I think the album does something really interesting with ideas of surveillance. So one way to, let's just say like uh, from the 1990s onwards was in, in a city like London, what starts to happen is, you know, a changing of what someone like Stuart Hall would have uh, called in the 70s, the colony culture, the the particular uh, uh or colony life that had developed in London in 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 kind of concentrated areas of post-colonial settlement in the city. And in the 90s, that had started to change, you know, due to the very fact that populations change over time and also due to the the reorganisation of the city. And you start to, you know, have this development in surveillance, which changed the way policing works. You know, obviously policing still works in its, in its overtly kind of violent um, and oppressive ways. But the, the nature of that, violence and oppression shifts um and is takes on a particular technological manifestation through some various forms of surveillance activity Um, and one way you could look at that is to say is say well you know that the the um the means to survey people racialized as black or people seen as racialized people seen as threats to the social order um in various forms is to see that as, as as a new form of kind of top-down oppression which um flattens and stultifies the capacities of people to live and that's in again going back to the urban sociology case that's that's a in a sense sense a perfectly legitimate set of claims to make that stuff is real you know it does happen what i was trying to get at with what i think getterville's kind of getting at is is it is that it tries to both give a sense of what the grind of that form of surveillance feels like, but it also tries to show the persistence of, put it this way, that there wouldn't be need for surveillance if people didn't keep on evading and disrupting and uh, uh, rendering surveillance unrecognisable, should we say, uh, and dysfunctional. And I think what the actress is trying to do in Getterville is both give a, and simultaneously um, in the very textures of, of the music, give an account of what, that experience of that type of stulti- stultifying kind of um, surveillance is like, but also what it is that, that keeps that surveillance trying to chase those forms of social life um, in the city. What it is that that means that, that that life is constantly escaping, reformulating, improvising in ways which 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 render surveillance kind of inoperable. And I think that's at the heart of the album. I think what he's saying here is that I think actually that, you know, I have a lot of respect for the I wouldn't actually a lot of the work I do in this book wouldn't be possible without me borrowing from the work of music journalists who go out and not only interview artists but also, you know, responding to the music as it comes out. But often in the in, in the immediate reviews of actresses Ghetto Bill, there's a tendency to play up the let's call it the dystopian dynamics of the album. And I just felt that was a little bit dissatisfying. If you listen to what he's saying. Also, I think if you listen to what the album is, is expressing and conveying, there's something else other than a flat, deadening dystopia. I mean, the very fact that the album exists tells you that there is not, that this, this is not a, dystopia, a flat, deadened dystopia, right? The fact that it's made is already saying that it's challenging that, that claim. Um, so I just wanted to kind of expand and develop that idea. Uh, And so what is it then in this album, which at points does sound quite bleak, but then in other moments, it doesn't. Um, And one way I I try to think about it was that, well, rather than thinking of, let's say, the tracks as distinct units, you could think of, let's say, a particular track, um, which has this kind of grinding, kind of uh, crushing churn to it. You could think about it as a zoomed-in moment of a, another particular track, which appears to have this lightness and freshness, right? So what he's done is taken a millisecond of of that 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 kind of track with a lighter feel and zoomed in on it and amplified a particular millisecond. And you, what you hear is this grind and and uh, and crush. Or you could flip that around the other way. That what that grind and crush is a kind of a wide panoramic view of a of a so-called dystopian landscape. is if you zoom in on it. On a microsecond, you hear this kind of this you know that particular track. Uh, Don't where you hear this voice, this this kind of computerized voice crying out like, "Don't stop the music." And I think if you listen to the album in that way, um, as this kind of almost like a a set of uh, refracted kind of hall of mirrors type proposition, um, rather than a strict narrative uh, like cinematic uh, um, depiction of a landscape i think it becomes more interesting
1: and then that bit of the chapter kind of points to maybe the i suppose that sometimes the paucity of the tools that we have with which to speak about music because speaking about music's hard and mm-hmm. the fact that there's a tendency towards the cinematic or the visual um which sometimes is a bit of a disservice to to work like this um so then moving on to the chapter about grime, um, which is probably the most well-known of the three musics that you explore. Um, what do you mean when you say that antagonism is the primary mode of grime and it's a question of antagonism's plural?
0: <laughs> to be me, I wasn't entirely sure. I was just trying to work out, like once I'd written the bulk of the chapter, I was like, what is it that's going on here? What is it that, that I'm trying to get at? And I guess, and I get to it at the end of the chapter, which I kind of, I leave it, I leave it quite open. Is to say, well, it seems to be that that in some sense, grime is an understanding of grime is overdetermined through its relationship to policing and an idea of violence, right? That it seems to be that uh, grime is only is often only understood through its relationship to to a kind of warfare with the state. But by the same measure, you go, well, what would grime sound like if it didn't have that that um, warfare going on? Would grime still need to exist if it, there wasn't that type of, of warfare going on right uh, with a state apparatus looking to crush the very conditions that, that make the music possible so I guess I was trying to say that is that there seem in one sense that I always got the impression that um, despite the, the the writing and the thinking about grime um, uh, that the artists didn't seem to didn't seem to like the state was an incidental factor or the police were an incidental factor in their, in their music making, right? That it was something going on in the background. There was something else at work here. And I was, guess I was trying to pose that question. Can we work? Is there something else at work here or is it not? If there is, what, what possibly could, what, what could that possibly be? Uh, What is this other type of antagonism at work here? And I'm not saying I, I, I come close to any answer. Um, I'm still like kind of puzzled myself. And I think that's actually what makes the music kind of um, fascinating and gives it that drive and that energy. You know, it's perfectly fine to listen to it through the through the lenses of kind of, in air quotes, resistance. But I think, again, that does the music a disservice if you only think about it in terms of the horrific things that st- the state has done to um, young black people in in British cities since, you know, again, the 90s onwards. Um, I think the music is about more than that I'm guessing I mean my intuition is the music is about more than that that might not be that might be a a failed intuition but yeah I was trying to unpack that and trying to see if it was possible to to separate the two out and unfortunately I don't not entirely sure if it is um, and what's interesting at, at present is that, you know, Grime has now been surpassed as the as the, the cutting edge musical project of of young black people or young young people in, in, in urban environments in Britain. It's drill now. And that kind of uh, chaining together of policing and music seems to be even more intense in the context of drill, um, which, you know, um, will be something worth thinking about.
1: It was the Grime chapter and then thinking about the context of drill as well, which made the... argument that you make throughout about kind of avoiding superficial realism or representational um, readings of of these musics you know i think it is such a overwhelming in the kind of popular popular narratives to read to read grime as being in some ways hyper representative um so yeah so i i found that really interesting um and then you, you talk specifically about kind of claustrophobia and localism and inequality as as being quite um energizing within this music and you draw this out when you discuss the track pow by lethal bizzle from 2004 and how does a tune like this not only kind of describe social circumstances of grime but actually in your words you say it creates territory which i thought was a, a neat phrase
0: yeah i mean the, it's 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 compressed, compacted in 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 so many ways. There's so much piled into power that it's it seems like it's it's each time you hear it, you're like, how is it possible for this to function? How is it possible for this to exist? There's firstly, like I think it might be like eight or nine MCs in the space of four minutes. Each are delivering a kind of each even on their own in their own particular moment of their eight bars of performance are delivering kind of like line after line of ammunition and the 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 rhythm itself is just this kind of i think you know um, i think it's actually simon reynolds who i, I quote says it's kind of like a whirling mania i think that or something on those lines that he, he he says about the track that it's a kind of screaming kind of mania of a, a track that is just kind of wheeling uh um, around and around in this 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 kind of screeching intensity and yeah i, th- I think if you if you all this energy and all this population, is, it's, it's so overpopulated, um, um, Pal, that it seems implicit in it, it seems to be a demand for space, right? It seems to be a demand to go, oh, look, we're going to, um, if you're going to compress us into a particular geography, and not only after you compress us into a particular geography, you're going to compress uh, our very movement and our ability to live together and um, build lives together in this, in this compacted territory. Is that we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna compact this song with even more material than you can handle. And then implicit in that is that all that it's gonna create so much pressure, so much overload that you're gonna have to give us some space, you're gonna have to give us some breathing room. I think that's what's at least that's what I try and suggest is that's what's at work in POW. The way that the track seems to kind of burst at the seams. Um, is it it appears to try to be burst at the particular limits that um are enforced on, on, on those who are making the music. Well, colony culture is a term that comes up in police and the crisis and, book that Stuart Hall wrote with, um, you know, I, I, the, the names of everyone in that book and it's like Chaz Critcher and, and it is a book that came out of the, um, the, uh, an early period of the center of contemporary cultural studies. And what they're trying to do in that is give an account of, of how, in the context of a growing, um, uh, state and police repression of of um, Black communities in Britain. How those communities were seeking to, in that confined space, build uh, forms of uh, economic, social, cultural existence that were autonomous and independent of those set of restrictions. And then base culture is a term you know, which comes from or um, was coined by Linton and Kwesi Johnson to describe the particular nature, the particular nature of the cultural activity that took place in those in those colony zones which is built around the the culture of the sound system and built around the 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 particular say the the you know a scientific improvisation with the effects of bass lines on people um physically and psychically you could say um um through this idea of you know the dread of the music the dread effect of of bass music and again if if you go back to the the one of the earlier chapters where I say you know house techno and jungle were the kind of structural um condition set set up set of structural structural conditions which then kind of uh reformulated played out in different ways in footwork grime and the music of actress one you could say in the particular case of grime is that uh grime is using the the um the conditions of colony culture and base culture in new settings and new conditions and it may not sound like it in the in a in an over obvious way but if you start to think about it through those lenses, you can see a level of continuity and reworking. Continuity in a kind of the bits they've rejected and the bits they've taken on and, and developed.
1: So you've been really generous of your time and we've covered some of the book, but I would say to listeners that, you know, if we've kind of scratched the surface here, it's got so much for quite a slim volume, it's got so much going on. So um, yeah, this, we've just kind of covered some of the basics here. I, I was going to ask, what would you say would be a few like key tracks or videos that anyone listening should check out to get a sense of any of these musics. It's um, a good one, actually. Um,
0: for grime, I would say check out almost any pirate rip from like 2003 or 2002, between 2000, 2002 and 2004 by like Wiley, um, particularly the Wiley Sidew- Sidewinder sessions. They'd be a great place to start. They're kind of almost you could argue in some sense the the, the one of the birth points of grime with actress I mean there's a set of albums out there you can I, I would I think a, a good way into actress is the album splash uh, where the the second um, S is spelt with a Z and with footwork uh, again that's tough I would, I would say go for um, uh, DJ Rashad's Just a Taste Volume One I think a, a, a mixtape that he put out um, when he was he's kind of coming into prominence. As a as a
1: footwork producer and dj in chicago they be they be good starting points i think great um i'll try and remember to put them in the show notes for any listeners and then finally what are you working on now um
0: Uh, don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh let me think let me think um well you know we just had uh, 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 a child arrive in our lives so at the moment that's i'm working on that at the moment or trying to Trying to work on that or help my partner work on that, but yeah, I'm I'm at present um, I am trying to work more. I'm trying to get out of the single authored stuff or stuff I write on my own. Um, and really, the the book to call it a, a something that's you know I I take claim for all the faults in it, but anything that's that's good in the book. Is really out of a result of conversations and friendships with, uh, with several people, and so I'm I'm, I'm trying as much as possible. Or I'm pretty determined as much as possible to to work collectively or with other people as much as as much as I can in anything I um, put out there research-wise. Um, and so what I'm doing at present is um, there's a book that myself and um, a former colleague from Goldsmiths, Lewis Moreno have been working on for a while. It looks at three cities, really, I say, um, in the 1970s, um, early 1980s, uh, Kingston, in Jamaica, Detroit, and New York. And what we're interested in is how in the 19... In the, in the, there's a period in the 70s where each of those cities appears to become critical to uh, this uh, various crises in capitalism going on at the moment, at that particular moment in time. But at the very same time, it uh what arises in those cities are really kind of speculative projects of black of musical experimentation. In the case of Kingston it's is is dub. Um, in the case of Detroit um there's funk, or the P Funk project. And in New York you get the invention of hip hop. Um, and so we're working on something like that. Like trying to basically trying to rethink a kind of a set of arguments about the political economy of the seventies through those musical projects. With Ash Sharma, another friend, um, good friend. Um, we uh, a couple of years ago we published uh, an article which kind of looked back at the um, Black uh, the Black British Cultural Studies project in new formations, and kind of tried to do a, a survey of that work and kind of construct a kind of inter- an, an intellectual narrative about how Black British Cultural Studies came into came into into being. Um, and then situate that work within the contemporary context. Um, we, I think, we're going to start work start on a, a follow up article of sorts, which which takes as a starting point the Steve McQueen, Steve Acts series. And finally, I mean, it's something I'm trying to talk about as much as possible in public, so it kind of um, forces me to get it get it started. Is um, is for a long time, and I've during lockdown during that kind of. Pause in you know time, space, everything that happened in lockdown for a short period, before things started to somehow get back into motion again, despite still being under lockdown conditions. I've been wanting to 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 um, put something together on Gil Scott Heron, and so I've I've got a notebook going, um, and I scribble down anything that that comes to mind, or um, when I have a, a moment or two. So that might be much longer, uh, uh, a longer term project. You know, it might never appear it might appear in different guises but yeah that's kind of what i'm up to at the moment um besides you know the usual of teaching and trying to ensure that you know people get fair pay and pensions for the work they do um and, uh, the guise of you know uh, under these conditions of oppressive employment that we have in universities at the moment
1: well all of that plus a uh, young baby sounds like quite a lot to be getting on with so <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 Yeah, yeah. Thanks very much for your time and thanks for coming on the show. No worries, Gamai. Thanks a lot.